Uh, the reading I'm doing is Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 43. And for the older folk like me in the large print Bible, it's 1521. In the other version, it's 682. Today's reading is about two parables, and then Jesus explains the parables, and no doubt. Um, we can have further explanation of the parables from David. So, Matthew 13, starting at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat spouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The second parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them, without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus then explains the parable of the weeds. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom and everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Thanks be to God.
Good morning. The second reading is back just a few pages. The last book in the Old Testament. It's Malachi chapter 3, starting from verse 1. Uh, in the old the large print Bibles, that's 1494, and the small print, 670. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to you, I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning all. Must be birthday week. I had two people in my Wednesday morning Bible study have birthdays. Mary Wally was 93 on Wednesday and Joy, who usually comes to this service, was 93 on Friday and Claire wasn't 93 today. <laughs> Happy birthday to them all. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Help us to learn something from it as we talk to people about the Lord Jesus so that we can help them and so that we can understand how you're working. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever seen a garden that has absolutely no weeds at all? Maybe just after you've weeded it. But normally, no. Jesus, in this parable, tells us that the good seed, as we've learnt from a previous parable, produces a huge crop. And we would expect that he would now tell his little band of followers to be optimistic. One would think that the kingdom of God was now to grow without any problems at all. All. For here was Jesus, the all-powerful one, was now telling these people to go out into the world and the kingdom of God will come and we would think that Jesus being all-powerful, that it would happen without any problems. But then he tells the parable of the weeds. A man sows... Where does he sow? In his own field. That's important to note. He's not using a borrowed field. 
he's using his own field. So God for God, the world is his. What sort of seed does he sow? Is it bad seed? No, it's good seed. And he is a very rich man because he has people sowing for him. So we get this picture of an all-powerful God or all-powerful man who sows the seed and it works. But while it works, something else happens. A baddie comes along and he sows bad seed. He sows weeds to ruin the man's crop if he could. Now, this actually must have been a quite a common occurrence because the Roman government had instituted a law against it and there were fines to be imposed if you actually did that sort of thing. So we find both God and the devil, for that who's, who we are told in this passage is God's enemy, both sowing seed in the world. Now, when the man's servants see the weeds in the field, they ask questions. Where do the weeds come from? And do you want me to go and do you want us to go and pull them up? Jesus says, well, the weeds come from the devil. So here is our sovereign God who allows Satan to do evil in the world. Of course, that raises a huge question, doesn't it? But I'm not here to answer that one today. But there are some ideas here for us to think about in regards to that. And then... Jesus says, no, don't go and pull up the weeds. I like that sort of gardening. (laughs) Don't go and pull up the weeds. Leave them there. Well, verse 37 of the chapter is where Jesus begins to give an explanation. And he says this, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man, so that's Jesus. The field is the world, that's where we live, and that's important, and I'll comment on that in a moment. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom, so that's us. The weeds are the people of the evil one, so that is people who aren't aligned with God and his son, the Lord Jesus. And so, he says this to us, that we live in this world. And I think that that is an important thing for us as Christians to bear in mind. You see, because we can so easily become a Christian ghetto that we can actually withdraw from the world. But we are told to be in the world. We are told here that we're part of it. We would probably often prefer just to be with Christians. It's easier. It's less threatening. But 
we are told that that is not to be the case. And we are reminded in verse 38 that we are the people of the kingdom. In other words, we are actually quite unique. Now, I don't mean this in a way so that we will be proud, but you are a son or daughter of God. So what is that to mean for you as you live in the world? And I think what is important here is your uniqueness, that you are the only person with your background. You are the only person with your experience. You are the only person in that particular spot at that particular time. And you are put there by God. And so, we are to coexist with those who are evil. We are not a sect to withdraw. So why, as God's servants, are we not to try and root out the weeds? I want to give you three reasons quickly. First of all, we are told that the enemy is the devil and he sows in this world. There have been times where Christians have actually tried to eradicate evil. There have been such things within the Christian movement of called the holiness movement, where Christians thought that they could actually attain perfection. But there have been also Christian organisations which tried to actually get rid of evil in the world. During the 1960s, there was an organisation called the Moral Rearmament, and they tried to get rid of evil. And it didn't work, did it? Why didn't it work? Some comfort for us here. You know, it's useless for us to try and eradicate evil. We can stand against it, we can preach against it, but we actually can't get rid of it because we cannot change people. It's God who does that. Some of you might know of Johnny Erickson. She was a quadriplegic lady, um, dived into a, a lake at age 16 and hit the bottom and ended up a quadriplegic. She worked for some time about trying to get buses to be more amenable for, car, for, for people who were disabled. You know, it's improved out of sight now. You know, you've got the platforms and the bus will go up and down and all sorts of things. But this is a long time ago. And eventually they got a law passed to bring that in in particular places in America. And people were so pleased about it. And she said, yes, it's really good, but 
you, we're not sure that it'll work because what we also have to do is change the heart of the bus driver. And it's true, isn't it? You see, you can have the right platform, you can have the right sort of bus, but if the bus driver sees you and you're disabled and doesn't want to stop for you, well, they'll just whiz past. If they don't have any compassion. And the Bible reminds us that the heart is deceitful and dreadfully corrupt. And so it's no good in some ways just fighting against evil. We've got to change people's hearts. And we do that by when they come to the Lord Jesus Christ. For otherwise we don't get anywhere. And you see, people have a wrong view of where people are at at times. One person commenting about hate mail on the television recently said, I thought we were past this. You know, somebody had acted in a terrible way in regards to a situation. But you see, she didn't understand human nature. That's the trouble with humanists. They think that people are basically good. I can't understand why they therefore lock their cars when they get out of them, if people are basically good. So the first thing that we are reminded of here is that evil will continue until Jesus comes again. We need to be aware of that. And it's only we as Christians who really understand the nature of people. Now, we can educate people to change their behaviour. Happened with the introduction of seatbelts. Originally, we didn't have seatbelts, and then... They made it optional and then they made it compulsory and it saved a lot of lives. But it's still an action of the heart that's important in regards to things. The second reason is that God wants people to come to a saving faith in him. We are not to root out the weeds or what we think are the weeds, because God wants to give people time to be saved. In Luke chapter 9, when Jesus is being harassed by Samaritans, by some Samaritans, James and John said to him, Lord, do you want us not to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? I like that. If you're an angry ant, you know, you do those sorts of things. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. Give them time to repent. And that's where we were at. 
I knew a lady who went along to church for 30 years, often twice on Sunday, and it was only in her 31st year of attending church that she came to understand about Jesus and placed her trust in him. Sometimes it takes a long time for the gospel to work in people's lives. It was a gospel church where the Bible was taught and people were called to salvation. It wasn't the fault of the preachers. It was that God had not yet worked in her heart to bring her to a saving faith. Thirty years and she eventually came. I was listening just recently to a man giving his testimony. He said, I went through Sunday school. I was a Sunday school teacher. But it wasn't till about 15 years later that he himself came to a trust in Christ. So we don't know when people will come. And so we're not to pluck them out. We are not to isolate them. We are not judge or jury. We do have to make an assessment. We need to be able to talk to people. We need to think, well, they don't understand the gospel. Now, you talk to someone and they might say, well, I hope the good things I've done outweigh the bad things, and of course we know that they don't really understand. And so we might have to sort of say, look, can I tell you how to get to heaven? One of the most remarkable conversions of, of people I'm, I know of was when I was working in the hospital, a man came in and I knew he was dying and I talked with him and it was quite obvious that he didn't have a faith or trust in the Lord Jesus. But his wife did. And I thought, I've got to get some time on my own with this man so that I can tell him how he can go to heaven. And I'd go and visit him and there'd always be somebody else there. Every time I would walk into the ward, there was someone else there. And I thought, come on, God, get your act together here. This bloke hasn't got long. And then I came into work one day really early in the morning, came into the hospital really early, and I thought, I'll shoot up and see him now. And would you believe someone was there? So I went away and I went back to my office and I prayed hard. And I said, God, this guy will probably die today or tomorrow. Do something. So I went back up and he was on his own. And I just started to talk to him and his best friend who had come from the central coast, who was in a wheelchair, had come to see him and say goodbye. 
And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> so I thought, God, what do I do here? You know, this bloke was in a lot of pain, the person in the wheelchair, I mean. He'd come all this way. I thought, and I said to him, you talk to him, I'll come back. So I went away. Went and prayed more. Then I went back again. And his wife was there and I thought, this is it. And I said to her, look, so-and-so, do you mind if I talk to, talk to your husband about how he can go to heaven? And she said, that's fine. So I explained it all to him. We talked about it. I said, would you like to pray for the forgiveness of your sins? I didn't use those words, but you know what I mean. And that when you die, you can go to heaven. And he said, yes. So I prayed for him because by this time he could hardly talk. And at the very end, he said, Amen. And we talked about it a little longer, and then he died two minutes later. Incredible. But just so that's really what God is on about here in this passage. We don't know. We've got to make an assessment so that we can talk to people. But the other side of the coin is we're not judge or jury in the end. And the last reason for that is because we too are sinful. We don't know everything about people. And we are likely to make a wrong assessment. Make an assessment so you can talk to people. But in light of eternal judgment, that is actually up to God. And we need to remember, there but by the grace of God go I. And we should pray that God will give us the grace and the calmness to live confidently in this world, knowing that one day he will come again and he will put all things right. But until that day comes or we go to heaven, we as believers need to keep sowing the seed. We need to keep praying that those who we walk among might too, in God's good time, come to a saving faith in Christ. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and the warnings that it puts there, but also the practical ideas that it gives us in regards to how to share the truths about God and the Lord Jesus with others. Help us to think through how we ought to do things and help us to be wise in what we say and when we say it. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>